and welcome back to SEMA's podcast, Y'all Ready for This, where we talk about all things emergency preparedness to help you and your family get ready for any type of natural or man-made disaster that could happen right here in Chatham County. This week, I am so excited to be joined by members from LIFE, or Living Independently for Everyone, and we're going to talk about disabilities and disasters. Now, we typically think about disasters as hurricanes. It's very common here in Chatham County to almost assume that we're always talking about hurricanes because that's been our experience for the last five years. But this week's session, I really wanted to focus on sudden emergencies or sudden disasters like tornadoes or severe thunderstorms. We don't have a whole lot of time to get ready for those disasters. They happen very, very quickly and they require immediate action. So it takes some different preparedness measures to get ready for those types of disasters. So I'd love to go ahead and introduce my awesome team here today, starting with Neil. Can you just give us a little bit of who you are and what you do at LIFE? Yes, hi, my name is Neil Ligon. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast with you today. Um, I'm the executive director. I just support my coworkers to make sure we're delivering the services that are needed in the community to uh, individuals who have uh, disabilities. Um, we, we deliver our five core services, and one of the things we've tried to be involved with is the emergency planning because of how, um, how intense the impact can be for individuals with disabilities. Great. Angel, will you introduce yourself? Absolutely. My name is Angel Donardi, and I'm the Associate Director of Life Incorporated, which means I wear many hats and do lots of things behind the scenes. Um, love my job, love my colleagues, love being part of this community. And I'm happy to be here today to share and have a conversation about the impact of these unexpected emergencies on people with disabilities in our community. Wonderful, thank you, Angel. All right, Denise, will you round us out and introduce yourself? Sure, my name is Denise Howard. I am the program director at LIFE. I help with planning out the uh, programs and workshops at LIFE. I also handle assistive technology and durable medical equipment, helping people with disabilities to get the equipment that they need to live independently and achieve their goals. Wow. Well, we have a very impressive team that has joined us today for our podcast, guys. So please get excited. Um, and we're going to go ahead and start off this conversation talking about tornadoes. That's what we spent a lot of our time in last week's episode uh, with Director Jones talking about the differences between tornado watches and tornado warnings. Just to cover those briefly, remember a tornado watch is that kind of advisory period. You wanna make sure that you are paying attention, you're monitoring local news and you understand what's going on. Um, and then a tornado warning, we talked about warning and danger, both have the letter R in them. Warning is that immediate action stage. You need to get to where you're gonna be going for a safe area during that tornado warning. Um, so let's start with a tornado watch. Now, the way that this conversation is going to work today, our listeners, is I'm going to give some general recommendations that we give to everyone when it comes to a tornado watch, tornado warning, and then some other severe weather type incidences that could happen in Chatham County. And then we're going to have an open and honest discussion about what that looks like for individuals with functional and access needs, those that have disabilities, and how they may struggle or may benefit from some of these recommendations that we're talking about, just to kind of lay out the land here for you. All right, so a tornado watch, some of the recommendations that we have in place. Monitor your local news. You want to make sure that you know what's going on. If something were to suddenly change, you want to be completely aware of those changes. 
one of the things is that I always say, make sure that you have your phone readily available. Make sure that you are following news stations, you're following emergency management agencies, National Weather Service, so that you know if something changes very, very rapidly. Because like we talked about, severe weather can change in almost a minute or less in just a few seconds. We also wanna make sure that you have a safe place in your home. What I recommend is if we go into a tornado watch, clean out that closet, you know, a safe space inside of your home is going to be on the bottom level of your home interior, and it needs to be able to fit your family. Now, not everybody is going to have a closet or a space. A lot of homes these days are very open floor plan is what they call them. But go ahead and prepare that space. So get your helmet, get your food, get your water. Um, if you have a small infant, maybe an infant carrier, um, helmets for uh, children, even bicycle helmets would be a possibility to protect your head, pillows, blankets, all of those things. Uh, so those are some of the recommendations that we have. I'd love to open it up to, to you all here with life. What do you guys think about those recommendations? What do you think might be some challenges or things that those with disabilities might need to be thinking about? Well, I think we were talking about this a little bit in advance. And I think Angela made um, some really good points about, um, about the spatial constraints and how, how that can impact. Uh, um, choosing your spot. Um, can you speak to that, Angel? Absolutely. Um, they're all really good recommendations for anyone in the general population and for people with disabilities. Not all people with disabilities have issues, uh, barriers with uh, having to access smaller spaces. Some of them would have no trouble, but many of them do. And many of them also have the inability to do that quickly. So I think it's, you, you described being in a, in a closet with a family of five. I can't, I can't imagine doing that, being with a power wheelchair or using an oxygen canister, that sort of thing. There's all kinds of reasons why that's not always going to work for someone with disabilities, but if it does work, absolutely. Great recommendations for anybody. In the event that it cannot work, one of the main things, and you touched on this a little bit, is um, you know, to, to, to practice, have a drill, get ready. And that's the key, know what you can do. Um, don't rely just on the, the basic outline of what a person without a disability would do. Know what you can do and do the best you can. If it's covering yourself with a thick blanket, if you can't access an interior space with you know, solid walls or pillows or that sort of thing, you can still have a plan. It just might look a little bit different. So you would have to think outside of the box a little bit, but it's all about planning and the practicing. Um, run a drill, know what you can do. That's the bottom line. Now, now, Chelsea, with respect to checklists, um, when people are kind of trying to work through what, what they need to be planning, does, um, does uh, SEMA have like a checklist or anything like this where people can kind of go through and make sure that they, they've thought about all these different elements? Sure. So SEMA has a checklist. The, the way that we kind of typically put it out there is as an emergency kit. Um, so having items to put in your emergency kit, keep it in a closet, keep it in an area, maybe even by the front door if you're at a tendency where you might need to get out of your, your home in a, in a quick like motion. Um, we have those lists on our website. You can always go to chathamemergency.org. There's also all kinds of checklists that exist. I know the American Red Cross has one. Ready.gov has a checklist. Find something that works for you. And also please, please, please keep in mind that these checklists are not required. You, you don't have to check off every single item that's on there. They're meant to really match you, your personality, your family, and, and kind of the way that you live your life. So I always use this as an example. 
Q-tips are often on a checklist for an emergency kit. If you are one of those people that is adamant that you do not use Q-tips, don't put them in your list. Don't put them in your bucket. Uh, make it personalized to you and make sure that it's important to you. You're wasting such valuable space in your emergency kit and in, it, and in that checklist and wasting your valuable time by putting things that you know you're never going to use. So I have a follow-up question to that. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, it, are there checklists that are specific to people with disabilities because they do have to think of things and consider things that a person without a disability might have to think about? Are there checklists that are specific to them that will prompt them how to prepare? Sometimes you just don't think of everything. Um, do those types of checklists exist? You know, we don't have one on our website and that's something that I would really like to do, but this is just something random that I got in the mail a couple of weeks ago and it's by Quick Series. And for those of you that cannot see it, obviously, because we're a podcast, it's emergency preparedness for people with access and functional needs. And it has an entire checklist uh, of things that you might need to do, just tips that they might need to think of. Um, and we are looking at purchasing some of these in, in Chatham County. And I think that it might be a really great partnership with Life to see if we can get those distributed. They don't have an online version, but I'd like to take some of that content and put it on our website so that people do start to think a little bit more uh, because you're right. There are gonna be lots of different things that people with disabilities, people with functional access needs might need to think about that someone else may not. So it's a, it's a great point. Well, I'm sorry, what was the name of it again? Sure, so it's called Emergency Preparedness for People with Access and Functional Needs. And right. it's, by, it's by Quick Series. Uh, they are known to create just little pocket guides um, and they just randomly sent this one to me via mail. Um, and I love finding surprises like that, but I think that we are gonna be looking at purchasing these because it, it was such a great fit into what we're talking about today. Yeah, sounds great. Are there any apps that you would recommend that have a checklist or any other helpful information? Denise, is that an app, like a phone app? Yes. Mm -hmm. Sure. So believe it or not, Chatham EMA just updated our phone app at the end of 2020, and that does include some checklists. Some of them are for very specific types of disasters, and I can certainly look into adjusting the same thing with the access and functional needs uh, database or um, quick series piece that we had just talked about. That's a really good idea. All right. Well, so that would be great. Awesome. Okay, so we talked about Tornado Watch. That is kind of our readiness phase where we can think about our checklist. We can think about, um, you know, kind of what we, what we would want to put into our emergency kit. Now let's take it to a step further and talk about um, our tornado warning. So in a tornado warning, that is, again, that danger. Um, we need to act immediately. We need to make sure that we're ready to go. So some of the standard recommendations, go ahead and quickly move into your safe place, your safe location. Um, you want to kneel down is typically the recommendation. Kneel down, cover your head um, with your arms or with your hands, however that's possible for you, and then monitor local news. Now, monitoring local news is obviously going to be difficult if you're in a closet or if you're in a, in a hunched over or you know, smaller location. Um, so having your phone, having external batteries, having something that you can watch your phone um, without completely draining your battery. Those are typically the recommendations and I think I can, you know, imagine some of the conversation that we're going to have now. But uh, what are what are some of the challenges with that? Well, I, I think that one of the things that 
occurs to me right away, first of all, is, is people um, may not be able to, to follow all these protocols just from a physical standpoint. But then the second thing about this is um, individuals with, uh, with sensory uh, related disabilities, the speed of response can be really challenging. Uh, if you have to navigate whatever, whatever small spaces you're getting into and things of this nature. Um, so uh, Denise, can you kind of speak to what, what challenges you could foresee in, in, a, in a situation having to, having to kind of move quickly in, into, a, into a safe space, things that people would need to think about? Well, I, I think in general, is people with disabilities and all people would just need to plan ahead for um, whatever emergency, whether it's the tornado or hurricane or evacuation. I think the key is planning ahead for whatever your situation is, um, knowing where you would go in your home, um, having a backup plan, having someone to call, um, just knowing yourself and being able to act accordingly, you know, having a, in my situation and in, in my emergency kit would be a backup white cane or just having a list of uh, a contacts that I can call if I needed transportation since I don't drive. So I think um, the, the, the biggest key, um, like Chelsea alluded to, is being aware and planning ahead as much as possible. All right, kind of a follow-up question to that just for, for the group uh, and including you, Chelsea, on this, which is with respect to a warning system, the whole key is how quickly you get the warning. Um, and so if we're concerned with individuals, for example, who are deaf, hard of hearing, um, that potential delay in getting the message when, when you hear the alarms that go off, uh, warning of, of an incoming tornado, potential incoming tornado or anything else like that, they may not be able to pick up on those cues. What can they do to ensure that that is not, um, is not a problem that, that they can't overcome? Yeah, so I think one of the first things that comes to mind is what Denise asked earlier, what kind of apps exist? Uh, so I know National Weather Service has, has, has information that they put, push out consistently. They have NOAA weather radios that have all kinds of different alerting functions that are meant for people that have functional or access needs to kind of meet all of the different needs that they might have. Um, you think about, um, I mean, I know this isn't necessarily related to severe weather, but they have bed shaker alarms for smoke alarms um, that will actually shake people's beds that are deaf or hard of hearing to kind of let them know like, hey, you need to get up, something's going on in your home. So that concept exists. There's flashing on phones, all kinds of different resources. Find what works for you. Um, I know each person is completely different in how they respond to, uh, to different things. I know that if you tried to wake me up in the middle of the night with a flashing light, um, my mask is going to completely stop that from, from working. Um, but those that are deaf or hard of hearing, that might be the best way to, to try to wake them up in the middle of the night for something like a tornado warning. Um, so finding, using those wireless emergency alerts, um, using SEMA alerts, whatever methods you're using, find a way to make it work for you. And then it goes back to what Angel said earlier, practice it. Make sure that you know how it's going to go off. Um, if you can try to have someone try to wake you in the middle of the night with a flashing light to see if you catch that type of alert. 
um, and just find a way to, to make sure that you know what's going on because that's really the biggest key. Like you mentioned, you know, knowing and not having to delay in information. And you know, one of the things, Neil, that you had mentioned earlier um, was this idea of, of getting those that might have sensory challenges uh, in a small space and, and making sure that they're comfortable in that small space. Uh, one recommendation that I've heard in the past that's kind of stuck with me um, is having that in, in your plan for your emergency kit. So if you've got uh, maybe a child that has autism, um, having a sensory box that's in that closet ready to go so that they have things that will um, keep them engaged and not wanting to roam around if it's a potentially dangerous situation. That has always stuck with me and I think that it's a really good opportunity um, to have those things that your child enjoys playing with or even adults that enjoy you know, playing with or engaging with to keep them entertained while they're kind of in, in a crummy situation. Um, Chelsea, is this information centralized anywhere? Um, I know I, I had mentioned this before about, but you, you keep saying find, find this app, find this, find that, that kind of thing. Is there, I, I know that you mentioned ready.gov, Red Cross, they do a good job with the checklist and everything and they include people with disabilities, but a like an FAQ sheet, something that would um, in an official capacity like ready.gov or SEMA, one of the others, that would really highlight these different apps, devices, um, ideas, the sensory box as, as an option, um, the bed shaker, the flashing lights, that kind of thing. Because some people don't know to look for that um, necessarily, especially older adults. I think if, if they're new to um, you know, developing low vision, that sort of thing, they kind of just do the best they can. They don't necessarily seek out apps and things like that to, to manage those circumstances. And in an emergency situation, it seems like that would be a good scenario with which to um, learn how to utilize these things. Is there a centralized place where people can go and, and see these you know, different apps and information and everything that's in, on one of these more official websites instead of having to go from website to website to try to piece together information on these things? Angel, that is a fantastic question. And I think that it's something that needs to be done to be completely frank with you. Um, I feel like even those that, that don't have uh, a, a functional or access need, we're constantly telling people to go here, go there and do that and do this. I feel like in general, we struggle with this idea of a, of a, a, a cohesive list that really just tells you this is what you need to do and this is how you can do it. And I think that it's because there's so many different ways to do it successfully. And I think we could put out one list and then we would get five comments um, of, well, you could do this and that would be better. And I feel like there's no one perfect way to do it, uh, but I, I definitely hear you. And I think that that's something that we can, we can strive towards, at least put out there, hey, these are some options and this is where you can go to find more information. I think that that's definitely something that we can strive for. Well, this emphasizes what you just said really emphasizes the need to include people with disabilities in the planning process, um, to have them try these apps out and give their feedback and say, hey, this is the best one I found. So, I mean, just like we said, people with disabilities need to do the best they can. The different agencies with the information that's out there to do the best that they can is to ask the people who would be utilizing those things, You know, get their feedback, involve them in the process, give them a seat at the table and say, hey, what 
what do you think? Here, here's these different apps, give them a try, tell us what you think, what's the best, what's not good, what's, you know, that sort of thing. It's a time consuming process. I'm not saying you got a magic wand and you'll take care of these things right away. But this emphasizes why including people with disabilities, um, talking to them instead of about them is so important. Um, have them be part of that conversation, have them contribute their expertise with these things because they really are, especially some of the younger ones that are more savvy, that are testing these apps out and are more, more vocal about it. Um, yeah, put them to work, include them in the process and um, you know, get their feedback because they're the experts. Right, I, I really like that idea. And I think that that might even be something that we could partner with Life on and at me create a list of all of these different apps that are out there, all of these different resources that exist and, and let's figure out which ones are kind of tried and true. Let's see which ones work for us and, and which ones were like, no, we might not recommend that one anymore. It didn't work out too well. Uh, that might be a really cool project to engage, especially in these COVID times, uh, to engage all different members of our community and, and what works and what doesn't. Great. I think that I'd be happy to partner with you guys on. Awesome. You know, I'm always looking for ways that I can I can drag life into things that we're doing. So I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, so I wanted to get through one more thing. We talked about tornado watches. We talked about tornado warnings. Um, one thing that we know so well here in Savannah and in Chatham County is heavy rain and flooding. I don't know why, but it seems like every time it rains, it ends up flooding, um, especially in certain parts of Savannah and Chatham County. Uh, so standard recommendations for anybody that's out in the community. Turn around, don't drown. That is always what we hear. That's always what we say. Don't drive through flooded roadways. Don't walk through flooded roadways um, or sidewalks. Definitely something that we need to be aware of. What are some potential challenges to that though? I, you know, immediately I think of, um, you know, people that are used to walking down a particular path and, and deviating from that, but what are some challenges that you guys might see with that? Um, I think one that would be a biggest concern to us in the most immediate sense are people that rely on public transportation, um, which is a significant um, number of people with disabilities. Them, they don't drive for one reason or, or another. They have blindness or low vision or mobility issues. There's you know, a number of reasons, the affordability of it. And so if they're relying on public transportation, and like you said, these things can happen really quickly. The weather can change. Flash flooding can happen really quickly. They could potentially get stranded and they would be kind of relying on where they physically were in the moment that that happened to cope with and survive that situation. And um, I think self-advocacy plays a role in that. A person that has the ability to call public transportation and say, hey, this is where I am, I'm stuck, what can we do? You know, not to just wait, not to stay vulnerable, but to find shelter, that sort of thing. Again, we come back, we circle back around to make a plan and then act on that plan, which means visiting these scenarios in your mind, the what ifs. So presenting individuals with what ifs, but yeah, public transportation definitely would be a concern in a situation like that or people that walk and that sort of thing to, to the real practical steps of really just how to stay safe in the moment. Uh, I'll just add to that um, exact, I, 100% agree with Angel. I think the primary um, instance you're gonna see um, as far as the flooding is gonna be people using public transit, getting to a bus stop and then not being able to get picked up from there um, and not being able to cross the street to where they need to go once they do arrive to the site. Um, 
And again, you just don't want to be, you don't want to be stranded. You don't want to be by yourself. So um, one of the things is pre-programming your phone. In your phone, you should always have your trans transport company um, as one of your speed dials so that you have that so you can pull that up. In case you get stranded, you can be in contact. They may not be able to fix anything, but the first thing you want to do is you want to establish that somebody else knows where you are and knows what your situation is so that there's somebody else involved in the process of problem solving. And you can ask them for advice. You can ask them for um, a, a layout of the towns. They, of the town, they've got all these maps. They understand the community geographically so they can assist in that. Um, and then in your head, having a plan, knowing like if it's raining, um, bringing a raincoat. You're like, well, I'm not gonna be outside for that long. Well, bring a raincoat anyway, because you might end up getting stuck outside for a minute. Um, that's the, you don't want to, but just planning for a worst case scenario um, and involve incorporating that in your plan um, as you're as you're leaving the house for the day. If there's a if there's a 60% chance of rain, bringing a raincoat or a umbrella, even if it's bright and sunny out, because you know in Savannah, you can it can be five minutes and the weather is completely different. So just planning. Um, making sure that you have the phone numbers plugged in um, and making sure also, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the past about your informal supports, which is if you have family members in the area, make sure that if you do get stranded, um, that you let somebody know, they can assist you with this. They may not be able to fix the problem, but again, the more people you bring into your circle, the more support you're gonna have um, as you work towards a, a positive outcome. Yeah, I think that those are really excellent points and making sure that you know how you can fix your situation as quickly as possible uh, because and that's true for almost anything. Anything could happen that you would need to contact relatives, contact um, you know, Chatham Area Transit or whatever transport company you use. Those, that's just really helpful advice, I think. Um, and to always expect the unexpected is kind of what we think about in emergency management and being able to prepare for anything that might be thrown your way. It's, it's always great advice. All right, well, we are looking at wrapping up here. Is there anything that you guys would like to, to mention as kind of like some last uh, tidbits of, of advice or information? I just no? think, I was just, I think that planning ahead is the key and just having a backup, having a um, some spare cash or a credit card for emergencies or just thinking specifically about your situation and what you can do to be prepared in any situation because emergencies don't discriminate. It can happen to any of us. So I think the best thing that we can do for ourselves and, and others is be as prepared as possible. And practice, practice your plan. Absolutely. Ladies, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap it up myself. That was exactly what I was hoping for. And you guys just pulled it out of your minds. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for life for joining me today. Um, I, I really hope that we helped our listeners think through some of these challenges and think about how they might be able to improve their disaster readiness moving forward. Uh, be sure to tune in next week when we are talking with Georgia Power's Hollis Risch about power outages and how you can prepare for those and what you would need to know if you have a power outage in your home. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.